Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. Never Ever Give Up Hope is a show about people who have never given up hope. No matter what they were confronted with, they hung on sometimes if only by a thread with that hope that something would change, something would improve, that they would get better, that they could overcome their particular situation. And many of my guests have survived incredible, insurmountable types of circumstances such as extreme poverty or abuse or serious depression or disease or any number of things that would cause them loss, whether in the area of grief or loss of business. And this show gives them the opportunity to share their stories because I personally believe everybody has a story. Everybody has a story of success because we have all encountered things in our lives and we have overcome them. Never Ever Give Up Hope is now heard in over 140 countries and that also tells me that there are a lot of people on this entire globe who will relate with your story because everybody's story is different and yet we can all glean things from that particular story to help ourselves. Another thing that I've noticed about my guests is that they all have a passion to help others. The reason being because of where they've been and how they survived and thrived through it. So I'm always excited to hear the stories, to share the stories with you. And listeners, thank you because without you guys, we wouldn't have a show. So I appreciate my listening audience and of course, each one of my guests. With me today, I have Sherry Doyen. She is an author and a lifelong researcher of suffering. When I read that, that really hit me. A lifelong researcher of suffering. To me, that without reading any further, that indicates someone who really cares about other people and who really wants to help other people as, as we see suffering around us in so many different types. She has personally helped hundreds of people around the world to completely heal from PTSD. That's really exciting. Now the focus of her work is to help those who have struggled through this trauma. So please welcome Sherry. Thank you, Carol, for having me. Let's start, Sherry, by telling us your childhood trauma story because this is where it stemmed from. Absolutely. And, you know, I definitely was a researcher, even as a child of suffering. I um, 
was blessed on one hand to have uh, an amazing grandmother who raised 52 foster children. So within that space, on one level, I got to observe upfront and personal, you know, so many people's different levels of suffering while at the same time I was living in this concentration camp. I would compare it to concentration camp. I find child abuse to be a concentration camp only worse because love is involved in it, an expectation of safety, right? But we have a captor who's, or I did, and I know many of my clients who was in control of our food, our water, the roof over our head, the well-being of our bodies. I personally grew up in a home with a father who had an alcoholic, was um, dismissed from the army for psychological reasons. I think they call that a section eight. He was very violent. Like, you know, there was just not a day went by that you thought that the possibility of death wasn't right around the corner. There were guns. I almost died the first time at six months old. That was a haunting thing for me. Again, around nine sexual trauma first with my father and then that just kind of escalated into uncle and dad's best friend living in that house was next thing to a concentration camp and a lot of fear and it was interesting because the fear almost moved into a place of just you know there was so much amnesia around it I always said I felt like the 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 girl in 51st dates that movie right I was just completely present in each moment and then the slate was wiped clean because there was no expectation of tomorrow most often you just lived in between and you didn't sleep because you never knew what was going to happen at night I spent most nights sitting up cross-legged in my bed my youngest brother slept with a baseball bat. Was yeah. that for self-protection against your father? Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah. Like, we just didn't know. Like, he'd show up in the middle of the night in a rant or sexually violent, and you just didn't know, like, what the next moment was going to be. You could be sitting there having, you know, an amazing time, and then the next moment you were getting smacked away from the table. You just didn't know. So every moment was just precarious. And... You know, I personally developed complex PTSD, which I would disassociate from my body. I could see most incidents from above, which became a passion for me as to like why that was. Through my years of therapy, I had a a doctor that had for years a psychologist that was like, I don't know how to help. Yeah, and within that place of disassociation, like I had numerous experiences that the world would label as mentally ill. Like I, you know, would go out into the woods. I spent a lot of time by myself because, you know, it became that I was way more safe being alone in the woods with the animals than I was being around people. It was almost as if we lived in a gypsy clan. You know, there were so many of us, and I don't know of a girl in that clan that wasn't violated. You know, it was interesting, like, having the glimmer of my grandmother and being able to see what life could look like and also to have the perspective of watching all these other kids suffer. But then there was also the mind freak out and that, like, my family really, you know, circled around these other kids, right? And if you ask anyone in my family to say, hey, would it be 
out of the question, like, how do you feel about sexual trauma? My family would just be horrified. You mentioned clan a few times. Is that just a term or did you actually live in kind of like a commune situation? Well, we all lived in this small town in a very close proximity. We did everything together. You know, we roamed it through each other's homes. There always seemed to be a set of rules that we lived by that were slightly different than others, but at the same time, that's what we lived by. And, you know, it was definitely like the world had a picture of the way we lived, and then there was the way we lived. And where was your mother in all of this? It was interesting because in my first novel, Junebug, I became aware that, like, yeah, where was she? My mother is a feisty creature. But at the same time, she was in such fear and such survival for herself that it was as if, you know, we all fended for ourselves, especially after a while. I was a very highly sensitive and very empathic child. I mimicked almost everything that was happening around me, which being able to know what is really in the head of an abuser is a, a freak out within it in and of itself as a small child, right? No kidding. Because I was clear how unstable he was, which was a different space for this child than like my mother, like because I never could figure out why she wasn't fighting for us, why we stayed there. But she had PTSD, too. My mother was in a gas station that exploded when she was 16. And, you know, my father was a narcissist and, like I said, mentally ill. Her burns became a focal point of ridicule in our home. Yeah, so we were all just pretty much pitted against one another. You know, my mom and I operated very much as as siblings, When things would get too volatile in the home, she would take me to my grandmother's and drop me off, which, again, you know, the mind split of a child. Like, on one hand, it was a haven because there I was received as brilliant, as amazing, as beautiful. But then at the same time, I knew that I was there because... You know, there was fear about me being in the house. Things had gotten so volatile that, you know, there was fear around me being there. At the same time as, as like, I was enriched by it, it was also another fracture. I can remember sitting in the driveway and my little feet not being able to reach the edge of the seat and being in my little, like, hat and little dress and my little fancy shoes and mom, like, going in and talking to my grandmother and coming out and getting my little suitcase and carrying me inside. And I can remember having the thought of, I am literally being deposited here on one hand for my safety, but on another because it's easier. So that would bring a tremendous amount of insecurity. I was, I I didn't know where I belonged who I was or why I was here. I was very grateful for my animals because, you know, they were always there protecting and saving me. That's the only time I knew who I was, was when I was in the woods with the animals. What position did your grandmother play to help you with that? She was inserting programming into my little body that I was able to, as I grew, understand the sickness that was in my house versus accepting it as my truth. Now, that was hard to sustain because the older I got, you know, the more it bumped up against everything. 
the reality of the world and and how we were living there. But it was interesting to be aware even of, you know, they often, oftentimes a child is asked over and over, you know, what's happened. As adults, they don't remember even being asked because they had no vocabulary to put with their experiences. I remember being asked over and over and over again and just looking at them like, how can I even tell you there's nothing to substantiate what I was I'm going to say like I don't have broken bones I don't have details because I disassociated and left all I remembered was coming back to that body and knowing that I had to get to my bedroom as fast as I can and I would sit and try to hold that memory in place right but it was almost like a dream where it would just like pop and be gone. So yeah, I lived with very little memory until I got pregnant and it all came crashing in. It all came crashing in. Like I was having flashbacks and night terrors and trying to live with this man and just being triggered by breathing. That's when I started into therapy, which led me into a complete battle with my family. They weren't acknowledging that that happened. Those people were still allowed in our home. So it became me choosing between being a part of that or trying to get healthy. I pretty much had to sever ties and from everything that I knew to just go off by myself and untangle it. I was told at one point that I was dying. Right, My body was so, there was no life force left in here. There was so much fragmentation, so much fracturing, these just backdrafts of energy that I would just fall down. They thought I had enough MS for a while, like so many diagnoses, right? My blood pressure was bottling out to where I would be hospitalized for three or four days. And finally, I had this doctor look at me and say, hey, I understand where you've been. And I want to say that you, your body is in absolute distress. He said, and I don't have any reasons for that. But stress kills people every day. It's time to make some changes. Where were you at this point in your life? Were you married? Did you have children? I was married. I, I, and you know, I was a successful businesswoman. I did not look like the average crisis person at times. I had two children. We traveled the country with gymnastics. One of my young daughters was a gymnast and I just functioned. I got through every day. I weighed like 98 pounds. I was in complete opposition to my food, would eat it and it would just come back out one way or the other. Like it was like complete opposition and my body was shorting out. Literally, I could just be standing here and my legs collapsed, like, which is interesting. A lot of my clients have drop foot and stuff. It's like, you know, your legs haven't been occupied for a really long time. Couldn't feel my feet most often. Freezing hands, freezing feet. I was just dying. So you went to the doctors and did they give you any type of medication? Over and over. I lived from the time I was 23 when I got pregnant the first time was when I started getting the diagnosis of the mental diagnosis, the physical diagnosis, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, tons of cysts, uh, thyroid cysts. My body was shorting out. They wouldn't wouldn't be able to know why. My blood pressure was plummeting. I was on 11 prescriptions at that time. Basically, you had a determination to change. 
you had to come to that place where you had to I make a decision, dying. correct? It's just dying on all levels. And it was just like, okay, all right. I've tried to do it their way. I've tried to do, go through the traditional ways of healing this. I've got to go back to what I, how, who I was as a child and figure this out. I started traveling the world, studying numerous different modalities. You know, I'm studying mindfulness. I'm studying to teach meditation and kind of had this moment with him where I was like, you know, I, I understand all the concepts. I, I could teach them, but I'm not getting better. I'm still being triggered. I'm being catapulted around. I'm having all these experiences. Um, my body's still dying. Why? What is different between what I'm experiencing and the average person that's healing? Like, what is the difference, right? And that difference was PTSD right? and the mechanics of that. Explain why PTSD is different. Because PTSD is truly an energetic action. As we disassociate, our astral disassociation is the disconnection of our astral body from our physical body. That's why we can watch our experiences from above. That's why we can see the whole room as a whole. You know, we have to be able to disassociate. So in learning those things, I realized, oh my gosh, I've been out of my body forever, right? I didn't even know what that was like. In the psychological world, we're always talking about the fragmentation and the fracturing of our psyche. Well, it's literally true. This astral body gets fragmented point where, okay, we're going to... Um, you have this horrible car accident. A lot of people when they're in a car accident say they can they they their memory of the accident is at a as a whole, like watching it from above. So they exit their body because whoa, that was too much to handle, right? They don't really even have the programming for it. So they're watching that. And then they get sucked back in. And and often the world understands that amnesia. They understand that trauma, right? And they understand that disconnection. But for a child, that is happening over and over and over again to the point where there's not a distinction between being out and being in. Wow. There's not a distinction. Like life is lived from the outside looking in. That's why they feel empty and hollow, isolated, separate, alone. Like those are literal feelings because they are truly separate. Is that why there's so much um, suicide as a result? Yeah, they can't feel anything. And the longer you're out, the more numb your body is, right? Like sometimes I'll work with a person for six weeks before they can ever feel their toes, right? They're that separate from their bodies. That became my passion. It's like, okay, if I'm not in here, Right? Because I had a psychiatrist say that to me. I don't know how to help you, but all I know is you're not in there. And I'm like, well, where am I then? And so I, I that became the passion for which I'm like, all right, something is not connecting. Now, just think, you've got this little bitty kid that's getting in and out, in and out, in and out. Often these kids have experiences of flying. They have experiences of being other places. They have experiences of going to the beach while these things are happening, they have experiences. It's not like they just disappear or in a blackout. And that's very frequent as well. I became fascinated with like, okay, so what is the difference between me studying with Chopra and meditating and having these out-of-body experiences that are induced, that are an action versus a child who is 
thrown out and their experiences and actions. It's just at this point, it's a reaction versus an action of choice. And another separation is that when we are studying astral travel or quantum jumping, they always have you do that in tandem in pairs so that they make sure that you're realigned and back in your body. These kids didn't get that rule book. We have this, and, and it is interesting that I'm a medical intuitive as well, and it is interesting that people who have got PTSD and compounded trauma, often their body is exhibiting cysts. And that became intriguing to me as well. And I was like, interesting. It's almost like we've, we've from the inside out or outside in created these cysts on our timeline as well that are like encapsulizing this yuck and a fragment of us, you know, being trapped there that we keep getting sucked back into. Most people that have PTSD talk about the looping. They talk about the fragmentation. They talk about um, being sucked back into another time and, you know, the emotional spills that come with that. What if that was all truly actions? And that became fascinating for me. And in the quantum, we can create those actions. Right? Not every person that has trauma ends up with PTSD, but the ones that do are highly sensitive, empathic, magical people. They are so powerful. As I work with people now today, I am fascinated to take a homeless person and untangle them and release these cysts, drain them. You know, and you figure like if you take a piece of fabric and you've got all these pulls in it, it gets bunched up and there's no very little space between start to finish, right? And that's how these timelines end up without any resilience because they've just fractured and fractured and fractured. But as we go in and we drain this and we release it and teach them their brilliance because they have to do it, they leave instantly empowered. I had this beautiful young woman in the other day that her mother brought her in because they were concerned she had PT or uh, ADHD, right, which is often a symptom of PTSD as well. And she had had some some stuff go on in her life. But as she was in front of me and we were sitting talking, she was sixth grade and she was sharing with me what was going on, you know, at her mom's house with her new husband. And she was sharing with me how her reaction, she was becoming in opposition to her food because dinner time is often a very precarious time in homes that are unstable. But I burst out laughing because she was very embarrassed because they were talking about, she brought up that she was getting called out for staring off into space at school. And she said, I either am staring off into space or I stare very deeply into something until I'm completely unaware of my circumstance around me. I can't hear anything. I can't. And it usually takes a person to touch me, to bring me back. I kind of grinned and I was like, so what do you do while you're staring off? And do you disappear or where do you, what, what's happening? And she was looking down and glanced under her eyelashes and she said, I'm flying. And I said, that's amazing. I fly too. Do you realize that's a superpower? Tell me about what you're seeing. And she said, I just see the earth like going past me as if I were looking down on it. And I said, yeah, you know, you're astral traveling. That's not a terrible thing. That's an amazing gift. But can we think about doing that maybe 
in a controlled way, like when you're at home by yourself and you, you're not, your body's not in compromise when you leave it. And she was like, yeah, that's probably wise. Super brilliant people. No, she was already starting to get labels, right? Now, one thing that you did mention earlier is that eliminating the effects of PTSD is is a slow process. It's not an overnight thing. It's not a pill that you can take. So tell us about that and how you help people. Yes, through my years of travel, like I just was studying everything that I could get my hands on. And I was recognizing some similarities in different modalities. And as I started actually working with people, I started to see a pattern of like, wait a minute, like these are brilliant people. So if they're disassociating and they're out of their body already, can we take them directly back to one of these loops as a grown-up? As we take them back, here's the thing, they already know how to do it. They do it all the time. It's usually just a brilliantly fast thought. Like we make sure that they're, you know, very present in that time. And then we create balance between the grown-up story and the child story. And usually there's a big fragment there. There's a belief system that is in place, right? Ayurvedic says by the age of seven, my grandmother who raised 52 foster kids said five and modern science says two. That are those basic words, the way we view the world, the way we interpret the world is in place. This child is having these experiences that they don't even have words for most often. They don't have the vocabulary to verbalize what is happening to them. And they're frozen in a state of fear. So as we go back as a grown up, we can give them the information they need. Often they have information we need for us to create a congruent story between child and grown up. Now, There's experiments done about our astral body actually carrying weight. You know, there's an incongruence of how much because of these fractures, I feel. So if it carries weight, that means molecules are actually trapped there in this version of you that you can touch and interact with that's frozen in fear. After the balance is created, we actually create a vortex that integrates those molecules back into the astral body. So very instantly, people will say, oh, I feel taller, or I feel fuller, or I feel heavier. Oh, I can feel my feet. And dots start connecting between the isolated incident and the rest of of their time. Now, another beautiful thing that starts happening very quickly is the good memories start to show up. Because with PTSD, all that person can see is the fires that's burning, right? There's no recollection of the flowers that were planted around the fla- around the fire. Like they're just immersed in the fire 24-7. So as we start putting these fires out and we drain these cysts, so to speak, they'll come in and be like, oh, you know, I just had this flood of memories around um, mom and I dancing in the living room to Elvis or us going together to the zoo and having a really good time. Those memories were not, they weren't even present to them. They had no place to even receive them, completely hidden from view, which starts creating balance to our lives. It's like, yeah, not everything was awful, but that's all we can see. And through our process, we do a lot of work with 
behavioral shifts, our backward language talking, because our programming is faulty. You don't live through some something like that and have that input of information and not have faulty programming. Something I realized as being the victim is that victims cause a lot of pain every day too. It's really hard to be with a victim 24-7. It's really hard to grow up worrying about whether your mom was dying 24-7. And that person, whether they like to know it or not, has all the focus is on themselves because it has to be. It has always had to be to, to be able to be alive and to breathe. So when we can come into wholeness, we can start looking out again, realizing what we have to offer to the world and, and, and wanting to get up and be a part of it. I've seen homeless people you know, have jobs and, and are in homes and you know, human trafficking victims that are back into, you know, society, sex workers back into society, women that are, are enduring domestic violence becoming, you know, strong enough and powerful enough to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm not the sick one here, this is the sickness over here, and make new and different choices. You know, nothing's going to change on this planet as long as the multitudes of people are suffering. And we have one in three women having been sexually violated before they're 18. One in three. And we're raising humans. Uh, Sherry, that was really a great synopsis of the whole process, which you explained in detail from what the child or the person is going through to how they come out of it and to what they can do. And I have to eliminate that problem from coming back, right? Right. That's excellent. Now, my question to you is this. What do you offer on your website? Do you offer co courses or coaching? Or what do you offer to the listeners? I do, actually. We um, have the, the QT Matrix um, PTSD 90-day program where we dive in, and it's very immersive. Now, it's a very um, solution-based, holistic program. Like As I've spoken, you know, a person is in opposition to nutrition on all levels of their being, in distrust on all level of their being. They didn't get there just with a thought. Like, their body has suffered a lot, autoimmune problems on out to cancer. So we work through nutrition, behaviorals, emotional spills, and we meet 90 minutes twice a week for 90 days. And by the end of that time, people are living, not functioning. And we have a big, wide, now that's not to say that we aren't going to be triggered someday down the road, but we got the big ones. Like people can live again. They're alive. They want to be alive. They can feel their bodies. So that is the main PTSD busting program. And I do some deep intensive like weekend stuff, workshops, retreats, all with the focus of bringing a person active change and empowering them around the actions and their um, amazing capabilities, right? Now, one of my favorites is I'm also a licensed doula. And I really love to walk through um, pregnancy, which is a hard time for a woman who has been sexually tra traumatized. You know, so going through pregnancy, birth, and integrating baby back into life. 
So that's a year-long program. And do you offer all of this online or is this strictly one-on-one? These are all one-on-ones, except for the workshops and retreats. Okay. I have some audio programs or some video programs online as well. Okay, that's what would interest our audience. And they would be able to contact you through your website, correct? Absolutely. And I love to like just, you know, I always offer a free like clarity call just to see how we blend. We're also training people to um, to do this process. Like I go into like next month, I'm going in to meet with um, a group at a church who works with trauma to train their people to be able to recognize when a person has PTSD and to be able to integrate them on the spot so that they're not like reeling and let, and sent out open. I work a, I, I work a lot over Zoom. I you know within the safety of one's home it's it's very easy yes, to yes. get there. You know, and they don't have to leave. And uh, you know, we just did our first certification of five new practitioners. Like so, and I'm starting a new class next week. We're we're on this planet to end suffering, truly, and to release the magic back into the world again. Because these are brilliant people, brilliant people. On that note, I think that that's perfect because what you just said was you're planted on this earth to help people through their suffering. That's amazing. And that is your passion. And it's very obvious that that is your passion. And I'm so glad you shared that you will be able to connect with people via Zoom because then, as you also said, it's very private. And they're there in their home and you can still help them even though it's long distance. So I know that each of the listeners who may be interested, they can contact you and then decide what they want to do from there and also possibly take any of the courses or whatever else you offer. And your website title is? Quantum Therapeutics with an X dot okay. com. All right. Yeah. I want to thank you, Sherry, for sharing not only your story, but also what you are giving as far as helping others no matter where they're at in this journey and no matter what their problems may be, at least they can have a one-on-one with you and determine that and then take it from there. Because my guess is some people are wondering if they are victims of PTSD. Well, and you know, I that's that's one of my calls from the rooftops. It's, it's not just soldiers that have PTSD. And uh, almost every soldier I've met that has PTSD had childhood trauma. Really? It's the backdrop of everything. Wow. And, you know, it's that dysfunction or that early fragmentation that sends our timeline looking like a little scrub bush while this one is looking like a tree, right? There, we're, we're just fractured after fractured and easily blown around by everything around us. That can be fixed in a very uh, direct, action-oriented, empowering way. Again, solution-based, always. Solution-based. I like that. Thank you so much. I really Mm -hmm. appreciate what you shared. And we will definitely get this message out so that people can connect with you and you can help them because I know that that is your passion. And I thank you for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. 
Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.